So at the beginning of every new year, you, you might hear phrases like new year, new you, right? And, and usually you fall in two camps. You either love that stuff or you get really annoyed at the people who love that stuff. Uh, I tend to love that stuff because I, I like motivation. I love goals, those type of things. But I understand if you get frustrated because the reality is it's a new year, same you, right? Because it, the change of a calendar doesn't actually represent a change in your life or change in your decision making or change in your habits. And so if you want something to change in the new year, you have to make some choices. But what I want to do to start the new year is something a little bit different. I'm going to preface this series. It's a three-week series. It's a little bit different than my typical sermon series. Uh, We're going to actually jump into a book of the Bible, walk through it verse by verse for most of the spring. That's going to kick off kind of end of January. Uh, But I want to take you through a framework and a study that has really been transformative in my life. And it was transformative in my life, so then I shared it with our staff, I shared it with our elders, I've led some Bible studies through this, and every time I had these conversations, they came back very helpful and hopeful. And so if it was helpful for me, my prayer and and hope is that it would be helpful to you. And so what we want to do, instead of saying, new year, new you, we want to start it off with, new year, understand you. In other words, we want to take a look at the thing beneath the thing. How is it that God made you? How are you wired? And so we're going to, there's going to be a lot of notes today, and so I want to give you a preface of a couple of things. One, it's okay if you take your phone out and take some photos, because there's going to be a lot of stuff there. Two, we have it in the description on the YouTube page. If you miss something, you can go back, watch it, and then it's actually in the description. And then three, it's also on that Church Center app on the sermon notes. And so I'm just giving you the heads up. So if you miss something, you can go back. Uh, Dave, you don't have to take a photo of me. That's, that's not the, I mean, you can, but that's a little awkward. But so I'm just giving you the heads up on that. So there's going to be a lot of notes. So here's, how, here's the framework. Here's how the three weeks are going to work. I'm going to share the framework with you today. We're going to show it through how it's attached to scripture. Next week, we're going to see how this impacts relationships. So marriage, parenting, friendships, uh, those things there. And then in week three, we're going to look at how it impacts your workplace and beyond. So it's super practical. It's something I've been living out for the last five months, five, six months. It's been super helpful for me. And so I think it's going to be helpful for you. And so here's the start though, is that if you're going to start the new year and we're going to go the thing beneath the thing, we're going to say new year, understanding who we are. It begins with this truth that knowing whose you are and who you are will impact what you do. Knowing whose you are and who you are will impact what you do. So much of New Year resolutions are focused on what we do, and so we're going to take a step back because we understand that whose we are is that we belong to God. Think how Andy writes his name on the bottom of Woody's boot in the movie Toy Story. In the same way, God has imprinted on your soul the fact that you were made in his image. And so it's important to understand that God has uniquely made us. And so we want to know whose you are. But then secondly, you want to know who you are. All of us have childhood experiences and and things that we've gone through in life that shape how we view the world today. And so that's why we're going to talk about who you are understanding what uniquely makes up you. Because when we can understand those things, it shapes what we do. And so most of the world focuses on do. These three weeks, we're going to focus on who. 
And so let me give you some biblical basis for this. And so it starts off here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. What this verse means is that you were created on purpose with a purpose. And I especially love this verse, and I'm going to bring it back in at the end of today, and you'll understand why I personally love this verse. But just hang on to that. Another scripture that we reference here is, comes from Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so you have a purpose, but then also you have a plan that God has called you to a specific task, a specific group of people, and wired you with your experiences, with your desires, with your personality, to really accomplish something within God's kingdom. You know, we're called the body. And if all of us were the pinky, we wouldn't get a lot of things done. But thankfully, we, there's a diversity within the room. And so how we are made is not something we have to fight against, but actually embrace and will give us peace and actually clarity in both our purpose and in our plan. Uh, another scripture to reference here this morning comes from Psalm 139. We're just going to read verses 1 to 14, but this comes from David. So David is the shepherd boy who becomes a king, who writes about the king who actually becomes the shepherd there in God. And so he writes these verses here. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. That word search is, picture it, it's like a deeper calling, like if you search a mine for resources. Or think of it on a practical day, um, if you flip the house upside down to find the TV remote, okay, like you just keep going, you're flipping everything, you're, you're going through, or maybe you lost your keys, or maybe your child lost their school assignment, which they tell you as you're walking out of the door, right? And they're like, where is it? I don't know. And they're like, you just flip the house upside down until you find what you need. Understand this, that God here, it says that you have searched me, the deepest parts of your soul, and you know me. Verse 2. So you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So you know what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to think. It says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high and I cannot attain it. So through this scripture, we see just flat out, God knows you. And he knows the exact thought that you're thinking right now. He knows your sins. He knows your questions. He knows your doubts. He knows your strengths. He knows what you're not thinking about. He knows what you worry about. He knows everything. But then he continues on and, and talks about a presence that we can't escape him. Verse 7, for where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light shall be about, about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Ooh, that'll preach right there. <laughs> Some of you entered 2024 just exhausted, right? And all this newness is great, but you're in the middle of something. But this verse reaches because 
What is dark to you is not dark to God. A way to think about it for just a moment, because it says there, for darkness is as light to you. Not that it is light, but it's as light. There are animals that are nocturnal that can see and have night vision. For example, for the most part, owls have incredible vision in the evening. And the reason for that is, one, their eyes are just massive, right? You see owls, and they're just like huge. They actually, the weight of an owl's eyes, in some cases, represent 5% of an owl's body weight versus 0.02% of a human. So their eyes make up 5%. What's also interesting is that they have 30 times more retinal rods in their eyes that allow them to see in the darkness. Something that appears dark to you, an owl can see clear as day. Why do I say that? Because God has night vision. And whatever darkness of the night or darkness of the soul that you're walking through right now, I want you to know and be comforted by the fact that God sees you. And even while you can't see the next step to take, God can. And he meets you there. Okay, verse 13. Then he says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So we see here that God knows you. We see here that God is with you, that you cannot escape his presence. And then third, we see that he made you on purpose, that we know from the womb that God had a purpose and a plan for your life. Okay? And so it's important for us to remember whose you are and then who you are. Let's get real practical with this framework, okay? This framework comes from, this is called The Seven Primal Questions, Seven Primal Questions. It's actually a, a book, a resource. It's not original to me. It's written by a guy named Mike Foster. He is a Christ, Christian counselor uh, that really produced this resource after like 6,000 one-on-one hours counseling patients, as well as four to five and like 20-something different focus groups as well. Uh, if you've heard Mike Foster before, he's a, an incredible counselor. He does work with guys like Bob Goff and uh, Craig Rochelle and some other leadership. He's done work with uh, Chick-fil-A and, and business leaders and organizations and all around the world. And so he's this renowned researcher. And it's a framework that uh, when I read the book, I was like, okay, it's just going to be like another personality test, right? It's actually not. It's very different. And, and once I went through, it was like, oh, that makes sense. And for me, once I went through this, there was a light bulb moment, and all of a sudden, a bunch of stuff in my past made sense. And so that's kind of my prayer and hope for you. And so I want to walk through this. I recommend the book. Uh, also, with this, at the QR code on your notes, you can actually take this assessment. So you can do that at the end of the service or during the week, so you can kind of figure it out. If you don't want to take the assessment, you can probably guess based on the seven questions where you fall in. Uh, but I invite you to take this assessment and because it really does impact understanding who you are. And I want you to know that the book itself is not scripture. I don't pretend like it is. But the, the truth, the seven questions that we're going to walk through, all find their identity rooted in scripture. And so we're going to see that how God made us and the wisdom that comes from that. And so the premise is that every single person at some point in their childhood is imprinted with a question that they're trying to get answered yes. 
Maybe it was a trauma. Maybe it was a bad experience. Maybe it wasn't even a bad experience, but it was some confusion or a series of experiences as a child, as a teen, or maybe even as a young adult that shapes what you think. And then what happens is that you spend the rest of your life trying to get that question to be answered yes. Let me give you some definitions here. So a primal question is a core question that subconsciously drives your choices, actions, and triggers. That's why I say it's the thing beneath the thing. It is what's underneath the iceberg. None of this is overt, but as we walk through this, you're going to see how this starts to play out. Okay? If you don't get an answer yes to your primal question, you then move into what's called the scramble. And the definition of a scramble is the emotional struggle that takes place when your primal question is answered with a no or a maybe. During the scramble, you often choose compromising actions and behaviors. So an idea here is that if you feel stress, angst, anxiety, frustrations, or anger, chances are your primal question is not being answered with a yes. And what happens in the scramble is that it's a self-deflective, self-defensive mechanism. So some activities that happen in the scramble would be maybe you look at people-pleasing, codependency, you focus on controlling people, perfectionism, a focus on appearance to people, uh, workaholic, workaholicism, and, or maybe you buy stuff that you don't need. And so we're going to give a picture of what this looks like, but basically, what is your response when your primal question comes back, no? And then the other term I want to share with you that we're going to use over the next three weeks is primal avoidance. And that is the subtle subconscious ways that you try to prevent your primal question from being answered, no. Again, it's self-protection. So the scramble is what happens when the question is a no, and the avoidance is what do you do when you're afraid it's going to come back as a no? And so you preemptively put up walls or pull away from a relationship because you think they're going to answer no. Uh, let's, let me give you a little bit of an image to see how this looks like here, okay? And so you have your primal question. If it comes back as a yes, all is right with the world and you love it, okay? Everything's great and you move forward. If the question comes back with a maybe or a no, you then head into what's called the scramble and you have your own personal version of stress response. And then you try to force that back to a yes. Another deeper dive in the scramble here, another image, is you're afraid of the answer coming back as a no. And then so you do something, like an example might be, you can't control a situation at work. So you come home and you get really hyper fixated on something you can control, like maybe cleaning or maybe it's your kids or it's your spouse, right? And so you can't control this area, so you try to hyper fixate on this area, right? It's a scramble. It's what you do in response to not getting a yes to your primal question. Now, I want you to understand too that our wiring, none of these primal questions are bad. They might have come from a bad situation, but they are the makeup of who you are. And so there's the opportunity to turn your question into what's called the primal truth. And so a primal truth is when you take your primal question and you turn it into a statement of truth instead of a question. So it's something you're trying to get answered that when you look at scripture, you realize that God actually answers it already. And then so it actually gives you peace of mind. 
when it goes from a question to a statement. And then once you actually have received that, then it leads to your primal gift, which is your relational superpower that you have built over the years by interacting with your primal question. So something that you're trying to get answered, you realize actually is answered in Christ and then becomes your superpower and your gift to the world. Okay? Uh, Mike Foster, the writer, put it this way. He said, the difference between living from your primal question and living in your primal truth comes down to a simple shift in your language. It is the difference between the words from and for. From and for. As I like to say often here in the church, you don't live for your identity, you live from your identity. And I'm, I'm giving, again, over you right now, we're going to walk through these questions and you're going to see how this plays out. If you follow and track with me, I think this is going to be super practical and helpful. So here's the process, though. Let me give you the process. Three steps to using your primal question. Number one, you have to discover that question. So either you go through the assessment, you can take that online, or you, as you have conversation with friends or your spouse, try to identify or have them help identify what your question is. You then turn that question into a statement of truth, so declare your primal truth, and declare your primal truth, which then leads into your primal gift, okay? I know there's a lot of info, but let's just go through it, and again, you can go back and watch it online and pause it where you need to to get notes. But here is the primal question assessment. I'm going to put that up on the screen. I believe it's up there. You can visit that website. It's also the QR code on the bottom of your notes when you came in this morning, and it's in the link on the YouTube video that you're watching right now. And so go ahead and take that assessment, not immediately, but sometime here this week, and then let's walk through and see what are these questions and why do they matter? What are the seven questions? Uh, in your notes, you can write these down. We're going to walk through all seven. Let me do a quick run through of them. Number one is, am I safe? Am I safe? Number two, am I secure? Am I secure? Number three is, am I loved? Number four, am I wanted? Am I wanted? Number five here, so again, it's am I safe? Am I secure? Am I loved? Am I wanted? Number five here then is, am I successful? Number six, am I good enough? Number seven, do I have a purpose? Now, all seven of these questions seem foundational, right? We need answers. We want all of them to be yes. And so they're all rooted in Scripture like we talked about. But what happens is there's something typically in your childhood that causes one of those questions to rise to the top. And that first question is what you use to translate and, info, and like all the information coming into your brain and into your heart and through your circumstances. Does that make sense? All right, let's walk through these and you're going to see why this matters. Okay, I'm going to walk through and I'm also going to share with you what I am uh, and what our staff as well. And you're going to start to see where this plans out, uh, pans out. Question number one, am I safe? The highest emotional need for someone who is safe is, that, is safety, both physical and emotional. So maybe you went through a situation as a child where you didn't feel safe. And so you spend the rest of your life trying to answer that question. But then what you see, the kryptonite to that person is negative surprises. Negative surprises. And then if they're afraid of that question being answered, no, the avoidance is keeping people at a distance or hyper fixating on something that they can control. But the reverse of that question 
into a primal truth and into a primal gift is that Q1s make people feel safe and they are emotionally in tune with people around them. So here's how this plans out. Number first, actually the author of the book, Mike Foster, actually is a Q1. Is a Q1. And, and so that, he actually spent the rest of his life making people feel safe. Uh, two people that are also Q1s that you might know if you're part of the church family here uh, is my wife, uh, Samantha, is a Q1. Throughout our entire marriage, people have said, wow, I've never shared that with anybody before. And, they, and may, may, some of you in the room have had those conversations and you end up in tears talking to my wife because you just end up expressing like hard situations and things you've walked through. Why? Because in a moment's notice, she makes people feel safe. Another person, actually one of our staff members who has this is actually Edwina. And Edwina Stark, who is our church administrator, what she does is that this entire building, right, she focuses on making it safe. So finances, database, security, rooms, locks, programs, all the slides working, everything needs to be working correctly. Everything needs to be done ahead of time. Why? Because she wants it done. What's also interesting about this is that that kryptonite is negative surprises, which makes so much sense for me because, you know, as I'm driving, I think my wife, who's a Q1, also gives me a little bit of assistance while I'm driving. Any spouses do that? You giggling because it's true. Oh, there's a car. Hey, watch, watch, right? Go through. Why? Because that's how she's wired, right? I, I, I tend to go with the flow. Like, I love plans, but I'm like, yeah, whatever, right? But if I try to throw a negative surprise on her, that's like, oh, why? Because that's violating her primal question of safety. And so she wants to feel safe. But then that's also her primal truth because then she turns around and makes other people feel safe. Or on our staff member here, Edwina, who makes this building safe and completes projects. And she, makes, she says that her job is to make everyone else look good, right? So she's behind the scenes. Why? Because she wants everything working in order. It's about safety. If you're a Q1, you might understand that why you hate surprises. And why, if you don't have all the information, you get this like underlying anxiety, right? You might be a Q1. I might be in a situation and I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm like, oh, cool. That's not my primal question. I don't, I don't have this unsettling thing that I need to know what's happening beforehand, right? Okay. Q2, question two, am I secure? Highest emotional need is security. Now, this could be in finances or it could be in relationships. Slightly different than safety is, is more about stability, right? And so, he had, so that's why the kryptonite for MI Secure or Q2 is instability. Some of their avoidance tactics might be hoarding money, overworking, or controlling situations. You know, they might be asking themselves questions like, do I have enough? Will I ever run out? Now, the strength of a Q2 is that they acquire resources, they become very generous, and they help people feel secure. The author, Mike Foster, talked about he was counseling 
a gentleman whose net worth was over a billion dollars, or, or in the hundreds of millions. And yet he was still working 70, 80 hours a week and, and super stressed out. And he said, why? He said, well, I just don't know if I have enough. And so a lot of these people who have Q2s build these great businesses, build up and focus on that, and they want stability. But on that shadow side, in the scramble or in avoidance, it becomes hoarding, it becomes stressing out, it becomes just continually going, like keep pressing forward, and there's no peace of mind. But when you switch the question to a statement, right, a Q1 would be, am I safe, to I am safe, then you can make other people feel safe. Q2, am I secure? You understand I am secure. All that I have comes from God, and so I can be generous to others. Right, so a question actually becomes a gift. Q3, am I loved? Am I loved? Highest emotional need is feeling known, seen, and emotionally connected. The kryptonite to a Q3 is indifference. And the avoidance strategy for Q3s is that they withhold their hearts to avoid being hurt. Their strength is making people feel seen, making people feel heard, and people feel treasured. You know what two members of our staff are Q3s? Wendy McKay and Holly Holmes. All of you knew that immediately. Why? Because they make, so Wendy, our guest services coordinator, makes people feel loved as soon as you walk through the door. That's actually why I hired her, because when the early days of the church, every single person I talked to mentioned Wendy, and I was like, what? what's going on? And she was just coming to church. And so finally, I just went up to her one day. I was like, Wendy, every single person talks about you at the church because you make them feel loved and accepted. Can you just come on staff and do the same thing, but officially? Right? And I'll take Holly. Holly does the same thing in our kids' ministry, right? Our kids feel loved and cared for by Holly. These are the people that as soon as you walk in, you just feel better about life, Right? I joked with people that if the world ends, I want Wendy to tell me. You know what I'm saying? Like, if she breaks the news, I'll be like, it is ending. Thank you. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so we understand that now the challenge for those people that are loved is that they do such a great job of making other people feel loved. The question is, do you return the favor and make them feel loved, right? Because sometimes those people are almost like a starving baker a little bit, like they give everyone else food, but they're actually craving it for self, right? Because you tend to give what you're, you're craving in your heart, right? And so think about the people in your life. I want you, as we go through these questions, think about your spouse, think about your friends, think about your parents, are you answering their primal question with a yes? Right? Q1s make people feel safe. Q2s make people feel secure. Q3s make people feel loved. All right, question number four, am I wanted? Am I wanted? The highest emotional need is inclusion. And the kryptonite is being rejected. And that avoidance for Q4s or that they self-isolate and then wait for others to engage. In other words, if they're afraid that they won't be wanted, they pull back and put their walls up. 
just in case. But the strength of a Q4 is welcoming, inclusionary, and accepting of others. So two examples of Q4s. At a large scale, actually the author Bob Goff, if you've written his book, you might think it's M.I. Love, but actually he, he wants everyone to be included. In fact, he put his cell phone number on the back of his book. I called it one time to check and see if it's accurate, and he picked up, and we had like a 15-minute conversation. It was awesome. I loved it. I mean, here is a New York Times bestselling author, and he put his cell phone number in the back of his books because he wants everyone to belong. Okay. You want to know who on our staff is a Q4? Andrew. So our worship leader here, and what he does, and if you talk to anybody on his team, what he does so great at is that he makes people feel wanted. Right? He makes people feel included in the process, included in the worship experience. And he's so humble and so soft-spoken because he's not going to command over anybody. He's just going to bring everybody in. Right? And you can do that when you take your question turn it into a statement, and then it becomes your gift, right? You don't have to wonder, am I wanted? Through Jesus, you realize, I am wanted. <laughs> and therefore, I want to include everybody in on the process, okay? Q5, am I successful? Am I successful? The highest emotional need is being appreciated. The kryptonite for a Q5 is failure, <laughs> So then the avoidance becomes either becoming workaholics or the appearance of success. So what I mean there is that if you're afraid that you're not going to be successful, you either work, 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 I just need to work harder, grind harder, work harder, or you're going to give yourself a winnable game, right? You're going to throw the dart and draw the circle around it afterwards because you cannot feel like a failure. Or another option is you will avoid playing the game in the first place because like, I'm not going there because I can't win that game, right? But the reverse side, though, is that they lead themselves and others to positive outcomes. These are people that build teams, that start organizations, that lead large change and movements and can accumulate ideas and resources and achievements to do something. And so... If, like, and I want you to see something that you need everybody, right? Because if everybody just felt loved, it would be a great little kumbaya circle. But you'd need some Q5s in the mix, because otherwise you're not doing anything, <laughs> right? It's like, what, like, who's charging, taking the mountain, going after it? We're, yeah, let's go, kind of thing, right? And so you have your Q5s. And so they can accomplish a lot together. But the difference is you're not asking the question, am I successful? You realize I am successful. And so now your focus is not trying to get that answer yes for you, but you now try to help other people become successful, right? So you go from selfish accumulation to empowerment and building in other people, and everything rises. Does that make sense? All right, Q6, am I good enough? Am I good enough? The highest emotional need is affirmation. The highest emotional need is affirmation. The kryptonite then is criticism. So this is an interesting fact, by the way, that in certain people, they will hear something as feedback. 
a Q6 will hear that same statement as criticism. And so if you're a Q6, what happens then is that you either withdraw or you can view yourself as a victim or you get really defensive, right? And so you're, you're worried about someone saying that you're not, you didn't make it, you're not enough. You're trying to win the approval of somebody in your life. Maybe a parent, maybe a, a friend, maybe a boss, maybe a coach. And, and it's hard to live in a state of not feeling good enough. But the reverse is pretty incredible. The reverse is pretty incredible. Because when you change it from a question to a statement, I am good enough, you spend your days making other people feel valued and that they are enough. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Most religions are man's attempt at God. But Christianity says because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, he said you are enough as you are, where you are. In the middle of your questions, your sin, your battles, your doubts, your darkness, darkness is not darkness to God. That you are enough. That God looked down and said, I want you. It changes everything when you turn that question into a statement. Okay, and then you make other people feel affirmed. All right, question number seven. Last one here. It seems a little different, uh, but it is valuable. And the last question here is, do I have purpose? Do I have purpose? The highest emotional need is significance. You want it to matter. The kryptonite for a Q7 is pointless work. Uh, the avoidance is that they can live in perpetual angst. But then the strength is they can be visionaries and inspire others. Now let me just share with you, this is my question. Okay, this is my question. Growing, I'll tell you, I, I'm not going to say where other people's questions came from, but mine came from growing up in a conservative Christian home. There wasn't one particular event, but growing up in a church setting and in a college setting where it was like, you can change the world, and it was preached all the time and missionaries and things, and it was awesome. There's the great side of that, that you can change the world. But the flip side of that is that if you are not changing the world, what are you even doing with your life? And so there's this becomes this pressure that I'm not doing enough. And so where that pans out in my life long term, there wasn't one particular event that comes out, is that some of the shadow side for me, and I can only speak for me, is that my whole life I've actually struggled sleeping at night. Um, and I've tried different things and approaches, so I, I, I love all the recommendations. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily looking for that right now. Um, but what I'm saying is my body turns off, but my mind just stays on, right? Because I'm like, oh, we need to do this. Oh, I need to do this. It needs to be bigger. Like, it doesn't matter if there's 1,000 people at something. I'm like, why isn't there 2,000? Or if there's 10,000, why isn't there 20,000? You know, we start one initiative. All right, time for the next initiative. And it's like, as soon as something happens, it's like my mind goes, it's got to be bigger. It's got to go. And then the other thing, and my wife will attest to this, is I'm awful at finishing things around the house, especially what, not that it's trivial, but it seems trivial. Any spouses in the room, like, say they're going to do something three months ago, right? Because I have intention. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll fix that. I'm going to do that. I'll do the receipts. But then I get into the project, and it doesn't seem significant. And so then I'm just like, ah, I'll get to it later. 
And so the battle is that you feel like unless I'm doing something big and significant, I can't do it. Or the other side of it is that you feel like a stuck dreamer. I don't know the right path, so I won't take a path. Okay? So that's the challenges of the purpose one. But the flip side is that when I turn my question into a statement, what I realize is that I do have purpose. And now I can bring purpose into the little things, right? The dishes, the yard, changing a diaper when the kids are little. You know what I'm saying? Like through the little things. And when events and things happen, I trust. Remember I mentioned that first verse, why I love it so much? I realized, oh, that's why I love that verse. That I was, I'm considered God's workmanship, his creation, (laughs) And so I can actually rest and sleep at night and trust that God has a purpose and plan for my life. But what they also say Q7s do sometimes is they, I don't know, start organizations. Hence Mission Grow. But that's also why when I'm having conversations with my wife, we'll be at a party or something right? And I'm like thinking, okay, what am I doing? Small talk. We need to change the world, (laughs) right? And my wife can look at someone's eyes and be like, how are you? Really? And like, they just pour in their soul and make someone feel safe, right? And it's why we'll have these conversations and why I spring a last minute change on her. And she's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm like, why? This will make, this change the world. It's like, wait, wait, I didn't know about it. But at the same time, like I just completely misread a room or something because I'm off in la-la land thinking about 10,000 hills to take for something. And so understand that it changes things, okay? It's a lot, okay? But coming full circle, knowing whose you are and who you are will impact what you do. I want to invite you into a process because the next two weeks, we're going to look at how does it impact marriage? How does this impact relationships? parenting, friendships, right? We're going to look at how does it impact your workplace, right? I think you'll find it super practical. So I want to invite you to do three things here. I want you to discover your primal question. Maybe you recognize which one is you just by the descriptions, but take the assessment. Then I want you to declare your primal truth, right? I am safe. I am secure. I am loved. I am wanted. I am good enough. I am successful. I have a purpose. Rest in that. And then understand that that turns into your gift and you can develop that. That's why I absolutely love church ministry. I love, my favorite thing is to help people find their purpose. This makes sense now. My wife is so incredible at making people feel safe. Oh, that makes sense now. And you look back and you realize, why do I feel anxious? Why do I feel stressed? Why do I feel excited? Why do I feel worried? And it just gives you a framework that comes back to the fact that we're all made in his image. And so what I want to do here to end this, this first Sunday in the new year is that I want to spend time reflecting on God himself. 
of what made us his. So I'm going to pray. We're going to take communion together. I invite you to open the elements and hang on to them. Here, if you don't have the elements, we'll have someone passing by. If you're not a Christian, I want to give you permission just to let these things pass and just take a moment of reflection. But if you are a Christian, let us pray. Let us remember that what Jesus did on the cross is what made us his. That he made us on purpose with a purpose. <laughs> Q7. That he died on the cross for you. That you are love. That you're enough. That you're secure. That you're safe. Let's remember that it comes through him. Dear Jesus, we lift up you now. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Help us to rest in our primal questions and that all seven primal questions are found in you. And through your son, Jesus, through what he did on the cross, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray.